that the that knowing what we just read and knowing that the serpent deceived Eve she ate of the fruit by the way trivia question was it an apple we don't know ate of the fruit passing on to Adam who chose to eat it as well so Adam stop throwing your wife under the bus They ate it, and verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he, walked, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden." But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? I firmly believe wholeheartedly we have a problem as the human race that we want to know. We want to know how things work. We want to know why things do the way they do. We want to know what's going to happen. We want to know everything we can. And, and now in the last two decades, we have uh, the phrase, knowledge is power. We, it, we, 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 we encourage uh, education. Now, before you stone me and you say, oh no, where is he going with this? Just follow me for a moment. Mankind has a knowledge problem. We're addicted to knowledge. We're addicted to knowing who, what, when, where, why. But what that has done is created, and I'm going to just share just for a few minutes today, that's created a stumbling block. Because quite honestly, there is only one thing we truly need to know first and foremost, and his name's Jesus. See, the moment our eyes are on the knowledge that we receive. All right, all you Googlers out there. Isn't it interesting? We have more knowledge than ever before, and we're falling apart as a society. Isn't it interesting? And amongst um, those with the greatest desire to know and can't let it go, those are the ones that struggle the most with, with God. Within a world of, of science. I love science, man. I just dogged in science when I was growing up. Still love it. I love to, to see. And science is all through the word. So I'm not, it doesn't, the word doesn't come against science in and of itself. But what I find is those who have an analytical mind, if they're not careful, their desire to know so much can actually turn them away from true knowledge of the Father. John 14 says this, and just hear me. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Are you ready for this? If you really know me, everybody say no. If you really know me, you will know my Father. Now, Jesus emphasized something like this. He said, 
He didn't say, if you really know about me, Jordan, right? He didn't say, if you know something that you read the other day because your best friend's aunt's uncle told you, but if you really know me, everybody say no again. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So this is what he says to one of his disciples who would question, will you show us the Father? Philip said, Lord, show us the Father that, that, and that will be enough. How often do we do that? Lord, just one more bit of knowledge. Just show me and that will be enough. Show me, God, and that will be enough. Make it clear, God, and that will be enough. But Jesus responds by saying this. Don't you know me, Philip? I want that to sink in for a second. Look here again. Don't you know me, Philip? Why are you asking for more? Don't you know that I am the more? Don't you know I am the sufficient? Don't you know I am everything? Don't you know that I'm life, I'm love, I'm truth? Don't you know? He said, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Paul deals with this in 1 Corinthians. He says, as to the, those, uh, as to the concern of eating food dedicated to idols, he was trying to answer a question, we know that all of us have knowledge. Now, you know another word, not just knowledge, opinions. Really, a lot of knowledge that we have is really a lot of opinion. Oh, my, my wife just thinks I'm crazy because I'll read, my, my son's really into dinosaurs. I mean, what five-year-old boy isn't? I'm still into dinosaurs, to be honest with you. I think it's kind of cool. But I was the same way. But I read these books, and more, I'll read the book, and it'll be like, and this dinosaur did this and did that. And I'm always like, how do they know? Were they there? And this dinosaur ran approximately 30 miles an hour. How do you know? Were you there watching it? Now, I know people, but we've been able to look at the skeletal uh, uh, structure of similar animals, and that's about how fast they run. That's great. Deduce that great, but please say, we think it ran 30 miles an hour. And I'll even give you the title expert. That's great. You've done a lot more research on it than I have. But you know what? You don't know 110%. So my wife looks at me and she says, would you just read the stupid book? <laughs> we really don't know. What's happened is, and I'm going to be quite honest with you, the scripture prophesied that knowledge will grow. And I don't believe that that was actually a, a, a positive thing. And I'll tell you why, not because God's withholding smarts from us, it's because we can't handle the truth. <laughs> Excuse me, I just spit all over Jordan. We can't handle, I'll stay over here for a little bit, Jordan. We can't handle knowledge because immediately we take hold of it and are ready to write a book about it. How many have had an experience with the Lord and rather than just soaking in it and being transformed by it, we're about ready to write a book about it and tell everybody else how they need to do the same thing. Come on. Yeah. Scripture says, We know that all of us have knowledge, but knowledge can be risky. 
This is from the voice translation. Knowledge promotes overconfidence and worse, arrogance. <laughs> I love the Bible. I'm just reading God's word. I, it's not coming out of my head. It's just right there, you know. Thank you, God. But charity of the heart, love that is, looks to build up others. Just because a person presumes to have some bit of knowledge, that person doesn't necessarily have the right kind of knowledge. But if someone loves God, it is certain that God... Oh, i got to read this very carefully and clearly because I'm hoping this just settles in. If someone loves God, it is certain. Everybody say certain. It is certain that God knows them. If you have knowledge of God, James chapter 4 says, draw near to him, what's he going to do? And that means a physical touch. He literally is drawing near. I mean, let's look at some of these guys from old. Moses. First of all, God could, nobody could have written a better novel than how it came out with Moses. Raised by the Pharaoh's daughter, Israelite raised by the Pharaoh's daughter. Starts to realize what he's supposed to do, that he's supposed to stand for the, the, the children of Israel. Then he does something stupid thinking he can take care of business. And what's he do? He murders an Egyptian. A whole lot that did. He basically has gone for 40 years in the wilderness, but praise the Lord, the, the Lord finally said, okay, enough, Moses, and he shows up in a burning bush, speaks to Moses. At that point, Moses begins to take hold of, hey, this God, I want to know more about him. No, I don't want to know more about him. I want to know him. Now, remember, Moses was in a little bit of a situation because the Messiah had not come yet, but the Father still desired to speak to the greatest he was able through the Holy Spirit that he would lay upon but could not rest permanently like we receive the Holy Spirit now. But he would speak to Moses, and Moses trusted him. Everybody say trust. In fact, Moses always was in good shape, like everybody else in the Old and New Testament, like everybody else in the church, when they trusted the Lord and not their own knowledge. Even their knowledge about God. See, there's a difference between knowing God and knowledge about God. Do you know how many seminary professors are headed for hell? Boy, that just came out, blur I just blurted that out fast. And that's not confidence, arrogance, that's broken heart. They don't know Jesus. They know about a Bible, a book. They know about a God that people say they serve. And they know about a Messiah that is talked about in the scriptures. But they don't know the author. They don't know the Savior. They don't know the truth because they are themselves broken deeply. So we can have knowledge till we're blue in the face. Oh, I love it at pastor's meetings. We'll sit down and we'll talk. And you can always tell the young pastors because they're telling you everything they know. And everything they're doing. And then you can see the older pastors who have struggled, and so they're at times a little quieter. They don't say a whole lot. But then you meet the brother or the sister who just knows Jesus. And ministry just comes flowing out of the fact that they know Jesus. Their pastor, it has nothing to do with their identity. Jesus is their identity, and ministry comes out of that. Yeah. That's a totally different ballgame. Yeah. It's a totally different ballgame. It's not making something happen. Because Jesus already made something happen. 
It's not trying to do something because Jesus already did something. But I don't know that until I take hold of that. But here we have Moses. It says, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to their tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Did you hear that? Would anybody like to speak to God face to face? Would anybody like to speak to Christ face to face? It says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Oh, hello, creator, God, all the universe, put it together, and there he is talking to this man he created as a friend. How many know the story of Job? How many, and I'm going to say something that's going to maybe shake some people up, how many know that most of the characters in Job thought they knew, including Job? They thought they had all this knowledge that was going to serve them well. And it's not till the last chapter, Job chapter 42, verse 5. This is what Job finally comes to the conclusion of. Before, I knew only what I had heard of you, but now I have seen you. Oh, just changed Job's life. It's no longer about all these thoughts that I have about God, about the world, about all these. I know Jesus. I know God. I know the Father. Oh, it makes all the difference. John 15, uh, 15, Jesus said, I call you what? Friends. John 8, he says, look, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Well, who's the truth? See, we sit around saying, oh, the truth, like, blah, blah. No, know Jesus and he'll set you free. For whom the Son has set free is what? Free Free indeed. So if you know Christ, you'll experience freedom. But see, here's the catch. Most of people stop at knowing about Christ. Most people stop at knowing about who he is and never really take the time to know him. I want you to imagine my relationship with my wife. What if my marriage was based on me knowing about Tracy but not really knowing her? What if your marriage or your friendships were known basically on knowing about them but not really knowing them? What would that look like? It wouldn't be one at all, would it? And yet how often do we live day to day knowing about God, knowing about who Christ is, but never really living as though he is our friend. Never really living as though he really is right there. I'm going to ask you a hard question. I asked the men the other night because it keeps rocking my world every time I think about it. But I think it, it, it causes you to really kind of hit on what, makes, uh, what I'm getting at. How many want to get out of hell? Oh, just a couple of you? Let me say it again. How many want to get out of hell? Don't want to go to hell. Right. How many want to go to heaven when you die? Right. How many would go to heaven even, though, even if the God the Father was not there? I'm going to ask that again. How many would go to heaven even if God the Father was not there? If 
It is a trick question because many of us are focused on just getting there so I'm okay. Forgetting the whole purpose of heaven. Being with him. Did that shake anybody up for a moment there? Shook me up when I had that question asked to me. Would I still be willing to go to heaven if I knew Jesus was not there? See, here's the thing. Natural knowledge, knowing about stuff. I'm I'm terrible at this. I am. I've, I've confessed it many times before, but, you know, you get sick. And now with, of course, Google and everything else, all that knowledge sitting there, we are the most ignorant people in the world. We get, we get something going on in us, and then we have to find out what it might be. And the problem is they're not doctors. They're not the Lord. Basically, Google gives you about 800 uh, different diseases, 99.9% um, .9 of which are not in any way applicable to you, even though you apply them to yourself, and therefore you end what you may have is poison ivy, but you uh, really have a terminal illness that you'll never get better from. How many have we done have done that before? We get some symptom, we get something going on, right? Now here's what's crazy. I have found more and more, and I just thought about this this week, and then I heard a message. By, by, by a pastor that just confirmed it even more. I, I've prayed with people in the past, and one of the things I've realized is I, it's a little tougher to pray when they tell you everything that's wrong with them. When they tell you everything that's wrong with them, now I have to sort through all that what? Knowledge to get to the one I know. And the less knowledge I have about you, and you say, but I need to know what to pray for. I've got the mind of Christ. And I want to trust him to show me how to pray. I don't want to trust what this person is saying. Not that they're not dealing with that, but I can't hang on to those things because then I'm going to start walking by sight, not by faith. See, far too often what we do is we take our knowledge and put it above the knowledge we have of God and knowing Him. John 17, 3. To me, and I'm going to have everybody turn there, to me, one of the most needed to be highlighted verses in the Bible. I think you should attach John 3, 16 with... John 17, 3. So if you have your Bible, John 17, 3. Uh, if you have a highlighter, if you have a pencil, if you have lipstick, highlight it. Okay? Highlight this verse. Now, I remember I just asked that question, would you still go to heaven if God wasn't there? Well, just so you know, salvation is not heaven. Eternal life is not heaven. It's not it's not a place, in a sense. Oh, we'll go to a place, yes. But eternal life is not the place. It's the person. Can I say that again? Eternal life is not the place. It's the person. 
You say, what are you talking about? Well, let's just read this. Now, this is eternal life. Here it is. <laughs> that they may, what's the word? Yeah. Know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's eternal life. That's salvation. That's freedom. That's transformation. When you know the Father and His Son whom He has sent. That word know in Greek is the word genosko. I've preached on it years past. I've shared before, but I just wanted to touch in on it again today. It's an important word in the sense of understanding the definition behind this to know. Let me share with you what genosko defined, fleshed out is. To know personally. Everybody say personally. So there goes to know about. It's no longer knowing about. It's knowing God knowing Christ personally, okay, especially through personal experience. Oh, there you go. How did I get to know them? Because I've had experience with them. Personal experience with Jesus. I've had personal experience with the Father. What else does it mean? First-hand acquaintance. I don't know Jesus because Jamie does. I don't know Jesus because Debbie does. I know Jesus because I'm in a relationship with him. Not because my mom, my uncle, or my dad, my uncles, my grandfathers, my great-grandfathers, whoever else is in that list, we're all pastors. Coattails do not get you into heaven. I have had to have first-hand experience with Jesus. Okay? This is another word for genos This is another meaning of genosco. To experientially know. I don't just know them because we walk by every once in a while. It's because we actually interact. It's a direct relationship. It's knowledge gained through firsthand application knowledge. Now, you ready to rock your world here? You know what other act <laughs> you know, an other act, the word genosco means as well. The same word that means that they may know you also is the word they use for a husband and wife having sexual relationship. Same word. You say, whoa, that's pretty heavy. No, that's how well we are called to know. It is intimacy. It is I will trust you. Because I know you. I don't know just about you. See, John 17, 3 is so clear to us. We've got to know Jesus. We've got to know him, folks. I think of that song, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow what? Strangely dim. That is only possible when our knowledge of Jesus supersedes our knowledge of everything else. That is only possible, that only happens when we say, it's who I know, not what I know. Je Jesus says, look, I want you to cease making an appointment with me. I just want to live in you so that we're always together. Stop making appointments with me. That you're going to break. God, I'll get up at 5.30 every morning. 
and spend time with you, O Lord. Anybody failed at that before? God, I should have come to you first, but I googled. <laughs> Jesus did say, seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness, and then everything else. Right? He says, know me. Know me. Quite honestly, and I, gotta, I hope it rocks all of our worlds. We are not saved if we don't know Jesus. Stop being deceived. There is no salvation in saying a prayer to someone that you know about. There is no salvation in living for someone that you know about. There is only salvation found in living for the one who is your friend. Who you know intimately. Well, how do I do this? Hebrews 12. Man, I've been asking this. I don't know how I missed it all these years. I, mean, I just, that's who I am. Hebrews 12, you know, run out the race laid before you with your eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of your faith, Jesus. But there's a little phrase in there that somehow I missed all these years. It says, with perseverance. It says, just keep running after him. He lives in you, doesn't he? Who here say, Jesus lives in me? Who here says, Jesus lives in me? Yeah, who here says, he's not a part of my life, he is my life. He's not a sticky note, he's in here. I know what he's done, I know who he says he is, and I know what he says about me. And I want to know him more. And the more I know him, the more the things of this world will grow strangely dim. How in the world were people supposed to rejoice in the midst of trials and tribulations? You can talk a good talk, you can write a good book, you can speak good theology, but until you really know Jesus, there is no way to truly rejoice in the midst of trials and tribulations. There is no way to love the unlovable. Oh, you can tolerate the unlovable, but there's no way to truly unconditionally love the unlovable unless you are friends with the one who loved you first. Amen. Oh, guys, if I could, I'd love to take each of us by the shoulders and just shake you and say, know him. Don't know about him. Don't show up and get your fix on Sunday morning. Don't show up and get your fix of Jesus on Sunday or Wednesday evening. Don't show up and get your fix then. Be encouraged. Gather together. Be encouraged when we get together. But you work on this relationship. Yes. Persevere. Yes. He's real. Yes. How many have a real person sitting next to them? Yes. Except for Aaron. Yes. So i got to come up with a different example for Aaron. But you got a real person there. Jesus is just as real, if not more. Yeah. Colossians says, reality, however, is found in Christ Jesus. He is reality. So much so. And it, it, here's David. And I really take this as a prophecy because he was really prophesying the type of relationship we can have. Psalm 63. When he was in the wilderness. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. 
My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. How did David start to come to know the Father, and how do we grow in our knowledge when we realize his love for us? Oh, the word says his loving kindness continues to draw. When we begin to truly submit and stop being so rebellious and so opinionated about who, who we really are in God's sight and start realizing, for crying out loud, he could have just wiped us all out. Let's be honest. He's the creator of the world. He could have wiped us all out a long time ago if he didn't want anything to do with us. So there ain't nothing you can do that's going to separate you from the love that he has for you other than continuing to put you first and your opinions and your knowledge. Hey, I'm not down in knowledge, but it needs to be put in its proper place. Jim Bunyard, Chuck Missler, what was his degree in? You remember? Wasn't he like a nuclear physicist or something? He, uh, well, Chuck Missler, he had every sickening doctorate degree in science you can imagine. And I think it was nuclear physicist he worked for the space program. I mean, he was Mr. He had all the knowledge in the world, but there was a man who said, hey, compared to what I've had, (laughs) I count my gain as dung, as Paul put I, I count it as dumb compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Now, did he use the knowledge he had? Sure. But he used that knowledge as support in knowing Christ. He didn't let his knowledge drag him around and oftentimes miss knowing Christ. John 15 has Jesus saying this. I'm the sprouting vine, you're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Ouch. I'm going to read that again. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. You say, that is rough. Hey, every, everything in the word points to know me, know me, know me, know me. When a person finally gets to the point where they refuse to know, there's there's no other option. That's what Hebrews chapter 6 says. Hebrews chapter 10. There's no other sacrifice. You refuse to know Christ. Oh, sit in a church all 50 years, 60, 70 years of your life. You refuse to know, genosco Christ. You have no other sacrifice. Now, does that mean he will not be there if we run back? Hey, who's ever heard of the prodigal son? You better believe it. But if you choose not to go back to the Father, if you choose to not go back, there is no other sacrifice. You choose to not know, there is no other sacrifice. 
He loves you so much that he has made every possible way, and in his word he is clear. Know me, know me, know me. Experience, have experience with me. Don't just talk about me. And anybody ever sat in a, in a room or somebody, I, I remember I'd feel bad for my grandmother. She was a de- dementia. And so she really didn't know what was going on. So we would sit there, and even though we were there visiting her, we would talk around her. You know what I'm talking about? How often do we do that with God the Father? We, talk, we sit in church and talk around God. We have Bible studies and talk around God. We have small groups. We have Sunday school classes. We have, and I'm not saying just here. I'm saying period. And we talk around God rather than saying he is here. Hallelujah. This is holy ground. Amen. He is here. And I want to know him more. I love it when Stephen Curtis Chapman, when questioned about the loss of his daughter, and I've said this a million times, but it really just grabbed me when he said, when Larry King on Larry King Live said, so what do you think about your God now? And Stephen Curtis Chapman said very clearly, I know less than I ever had before. His knowledge was less. He said, but I trust God more than I ever have. See, Proverbs 3 starts to come to, into clarity when it says, Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own on your own opinions, on your own knowledge. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your paths what? If you live in life union with me and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done. When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let me love, nourish your hearts. If you keep my commands, you will live in me just as I have kept my Father's commands. For I continually live nourished and empowered by his love. My purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. And just as David said in Psalm 51... Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Salvation is not walking this alone because God did his thing and now I've got it from here. It's knowing him and knowing him and knowing him more. And I'm challenging every one of you all folks here at White Hill today. I'm challenging myself to say, Lord, just as I know my spouse, just as I know my best friend. And you may be somebody here who says, I hate people. Well, that's okay, because that's why you still got a Jesus problem. Okay? So there's no around it. But we all know, I mean, if I was to say, who here really wants to know Jesus? <laughs> I got to share this story. Chrissy, I think you actually heard this before. You shared it with Tracy, and then I saw it the other day. Dan Moeller, I always talk about Dan Moeller. He's one of my favorite pastors. And he was sharing us. He was at a church in the prayer line, and he's just praying over people. And he said, I've just gotten to the point where I just don't even ask, really ask questions too much. I just let the Lord tell me what's going on, because if I pray things based on other people's input, 
I might not pray the right thing. Because I'm, I'm going on knowledge rather than who I know. Does that make sense? So this little girl come up and she, says, she got up in his ear and she says, I want to know Jesus. Well, evidently he started praying over and she just psh, flat out on the floor. Well, he said at first, you know, I'm thinking, oh, the Lord, and she just, you know, the Lord's just taking her out, slain in the spirit. Well, he said, then I looked at her face. And he said, her face, there was a, a look of absolute and utter terror. He said, I couldn't even begin to show you what that face looked like on my own face. He said, it was an absolutely terrified look. Horror. So he's sitting there going, okay. And he sensed that the Lord is saying, oh, well, she's not out in the spirit. So he just stood there for a little bit. Then he realized, I think this is a demonic situation. And at that point, he said, uh, well, I could try to figure out, but it's probably a good thing she's not, she's not uh, able to speak at the moment to try to tell me what's going on because I'll probably end up praying the wrong thing. So I'm going to sit here for a moment and just let the Lord show me. He said, so he just said, Lord, thank you, thank you, more, thank you, more. Suddenly, he said, in my, in my heart, the Lord spoke to me what was going on. He said, this demonic spirit that has a hold of her. You ready for this? <laughs> he said, this demonic spirit that has a hold of her just saw the face of Jesus for the first time. Just saw the face of Jesus for the first time. <laughs> Get out of here. And we want to toy around with this garbage over here when the demons, when they see him, freeze in terror. And you say, oh, that didn't happen. That's not biblical. Hello, how many times in the word did the demon say, don't torture me? He said, I am so glad. Well, come to find out what was. She was a Muslim. And when she declared out of her own mouth, I want to know Jesus. He didn't know that. He said, I would have screwed it all up if I would have known it. I would have tried to talk to her how the Quran's not correct. And, you know, I take her through the scriptures and all this other stuff. I'm glad I didn't know what it was. He said, the one that I know took care of it. I just sat there and was a part of it. I had a ringside seat to watch my God do an amazing thing and transform this lady's life. So she comes to again, he prays over her, and this time she goes out again, and she's got peace over her. He's like, well, Lord God of that time. So he walked on down, and somebody came who had brought her. He said, did you meet that young lady? He said, I invited her for the first time. He said her family um, is a family who, who's, who are Muslims, but she has just struggled with, uh, I guess she had just struggled with, um, obviously, what she was seeing in, in Islam, just, to, I mean, just for face value and, and, and things that didn't make sense. And, and she'd been open more and more to the things of the Lord. And so that was the culmination. <laughs> she didn't have to pray a prayer of salvation, did he? Did she? 
She says, I want more of Jesus. And she got it. Now, for us, and, 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 and you know, that's the thing. I want that for everybody. That's not us against them. That's not them. That's Jesus wanting to transform all of us. And here's the crazy part. She didn't even have to be a Muslim. She could have been somebody that's been sitting in the church for 70 years, living a life that's a lie. What I love is the moment that spirit saw the face of Jesus. And then we get scared when things come along the pike. When the Lord said, I am for you, not against you. And if I am for you, who or what can be against you? Transform the whole thing. This is my prayer right now. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads right where you are. I'm not doing hands raised. I'm not doing anything like that. This is what we're going to do. Do you want to know Jesus more? Do you want to know Jesus more? Intimately. Then don't go looking at me. (laughs) This is you saying, Jesus... Everything else that's going on around me, my past, my present, cannot supersede knowing you. I want to know you, Jesus. I want to know you more intimately. I want to get to know you. Your word is here, so I get to know you more. My ears, I can begin to sit in the silence of who you are and let that speak to my heart and set my spirit free. I thank you that in you comes truth, and truth brings freedom. Freedom brings peace. Peace brings joy. Oh, God, I thank you, Father, for filling me up with love in Jesus' name. I thank you that, Lord God, you just... Just declare over me how much you love me. And I receive that. But then I want to draw near to you, knowing by faith you're drawing near to me. Lord, right now I just pray over every person here that is bound up and trying to figure out why what happened to them happened. You're bound up in that rather than seeking the answer. He doesn't condemn you. He doesn't criticize you. He says, hey, I want you to know me. Jesus, we just want to thank you right now in Jesus' name. Yes, Adam and Eve ate of that that tree. At which point, Lord, knowledge became more important than you. They even hid from you. But Lord, I want to thank you right now in Jesus' name that you've brought it back where you said, hey, eternal life is knowing me. So today, I stand here saying, I want to know more of you, Lord. That is eternal life. And I receive that in Jesus' name. I want to know you more. Lord, I don't want to just make shallow statements. I want to know you more. I want to seek you more. I want to be moved by you more. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And Jesus, what I do know is this. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that every bit of brokenness in every heart in this place today can and will be healed when they step in to intimacy with Christ. 
Oh Lord, it's not just sitting here on a Sunday morning. It's not just opening our Bible. It's not just uh, trying to pray a prayer. God, this is saying, I want you. And by faith, I believe as I draw near to you through scripture, through prayer, through gathering together with other believers that are here to encourage me and me to encourage them. God, I thank you that, that you're going to draw near to me. Thank you. That's a promise. I do not have to live. I do not have to live like a fan. I don't want to just be a fan of Jesus. <laughs> I want to be his friend. I want to be his follower. And I want to be found in him and him in me. Lord, I repent right now in Jesus' name of just observing what you're doing. I want to repent of observing uh, in, in just walking in knowledge about you. Lord, what we want is to know you. So we don't want to just sit on the sidelines anymore. We want to get in. Send us in. Here we are. We want to know you more. We want to embrace you and you embrace us. I thank you that your love drives out every bit of fear, every bit of depression, every bit of suicidal tendencies, every bit of brokenness. Your grace brings healing in Jesus' name. And as we press in, oh God, you are doing that right now. Thank you, Jesus. Without you, we can do nothing, but thank you, Jesus, I can do all things. Through Christ Jesus, my Savior, my Lord, my friend, who strengthens me. We give you praise and we give you honor. For you are good. In Jesus' name I pray. Hallelujah. And everybody said, We love in Jesus. You know he loves you. Let's just stand right now. Lord, we give you praise. We give you honor. Walk today with Jesus. Amen.